Let's open our Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. We have a kingdom, and we want to remind ourselves this day that everything we do reflects on that kingdom, either in the eyes of the king or in the eyes of those around us or in the eyes of our fellow citizens, our brethren. We read Psalm 99 this morning, and though Moses and Aaron were two great priests of the Most High God in His holiness, He brought vengeance upon them for their inventions. And Moses and Aaron did not see the promised land. Moses and Aaron's carcasses dropped in the wilderness. And we want to be convicted today against any inventions that we might have in our lives. If you are doing anything in any part of your life that is different from what the Word of God describes and commands as the way it ought to be done, that is an invention. You have invented a way to relate to your spouse that is different than what God commands. You have invented a way to relate to your children different than what God commands. You have invented a way to relate to our government different than what God commands. And we could just keep going with this list of God's commandments. He will take vengeance on your inventions because He is holy. We want to exalt Him in worship at His holy hill. We read in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33 about a kingdom you had read to you. In your hearing, 2 Samuel 8, verses 1 through 15, about David establishing, strengthening, expanding the kingdom of the Old Testament. You had read to you 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 that describes the character of those kingdom citizens in Thessalonica whose testimony went into all the known Christian world for being such wonderful citizens of that king and his kingdom. And it told in that chapter about the king coming to rescue us and destroying all our enemies. In Revelation chapter 12, which you had read to you, verses 5 through 17, was described the war between our king and the prince of the power of the air, the devil himself. And when you hear those words described, it's describing a war far greater than you can ever read about in any history book. But more than that, I hope that the woman that is described there, whom the Lord protected with two great wings of an eagle, characterizes you. That woman represents those people that keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. Does your life testify of your King? Does your life keep His commandments? Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. That inspired disjunctive that starts the verse, but, is setting a contrast to the Gentiles of verse 32 that seek after all these things. All these things have been listed in verses 25 through 31. It's what you're going to eat. It's what you're going to drink. It's what you're going to wear. The necessities of life. The Gentiles seek after the necessities of life. That's their important pursuit, is i got to make a living. Well, before you make a living... You better make sure that you're living. And you're living by walking in the Spirit. And living in the Spirit. Let's not just talk about the Spirit. Let's live in the Spirit. As Galatians 5.25 would tell us. So that but is comparing those that fit in verse 33 and those that belong in verse 32. It's the Gentiles, and Gentiles was a pretty ugly word in the Bible because it's describing the heathen and pagans that worshipped idols in comparison to the Jews that worshipped the true and living God named Jehovah. But seek ye first the kingdom of God. Instead of seeking those things, 
that the Gentiles sought after, these, the citizens of the true kingdom of Christ, in verse 33, seek His kingdom and His righteousness first. They don't just go to sit in an assembly of that kingdom. They are there in righteousness to work, serve, love, help, expand, and pray for that kingdom. And all these things shall be added unto you. All those things that we tend to get scared about, all those things we think we need so much, all those things that we have to work hard for, the Lord will provide them because the 32nd verse also said, He already knows that you have need of them. And so the fastest way to a carefree life with all your needs provided is to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And then the Lord takes care of the rest. It is your flesh. And it is the world and it is the devil that tries to get those things out of order. Where you begin to worry about making a living rather than having a life. And having a life is not having a wife, it's not having a house, it's not having transportation, and it's not having a cell phone. It's walking with God. That's having a life. And when you put that first, the Lord takes care of the rest. But I want that word kingdom. Because right now we are studying for two Sundays the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if I can send you out of here today, as I've already said, thinking about every part of your life as it relates to the kingdom of Jesus Christ, you have a king who has ordained how you should live. And you're part of a kingdom. And everything you think, say, and do reflects on that kingdom. It is a shame that we live in a generation when I cannot really tell you much about a king because there really aren't any. I'm sorry about that. But let's pretend for a moment that you think the Queen of England is special. And she is to a point because she's in a position of authority and power that God gave her. But if a queen or a king of a powerful and rich nation were to ask you to immigrate to that kingdom and become a citizen, and not a mere citizen, but an adopted son of that king with all the authority and power of that realm involving you and all the wealth of that kingdom to be yours shortly, you would be very impressed. It would turn your little world upside down because there was a king that wanted to make you part of his kingdom and was going to give you all the wealth of his realm and all the power of his realm would be at his disposal for your protection. This is true and so much more. Because the God of heaven, before whom the world should tremble, as the 99th Psalm told us this morning, has translated you out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His dear Son, and has in store for you all the wealth of the universe, because you are a joint heir with His firstborn Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to understand our kingdom duties today. Look at Daniel chapter 4. Last Sunday, I introduced the fact that God is king over all. There's nothing outside of his government of the universe. I also showed you that our king, our God, is king forever. So he's king over everything, and he's king forever. Well, Nebuchadnezzar learned both of those facts in Daniel chapter 4. The chapter is long. We only need two verses. God took the greatest, most powerful king on earth and put him out to pasture so that he ate grass like an ox and so forth. But he learned his lesson in the seven-year graduate school of the Most High. Daniel 4.34 And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven. And mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High. And I praised 
and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? This is our God and our King. These two verses should light up your soul. But this is the God we worship. His dominion extends over everything and lasts forever. It is from generation to generation. Nebuchadnezzar knew one thing about his father and his father before that and his sons after him. Their kingdom would only last or their kingship for one generation. But his from generation to generation. This is our king. And this God has made the Lord Jesus Christ prince of the kings of the earth. This God has made his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the son of David, king of kings and Lord of lords. And he's our king. He's picked me. He's picked you. Out of the whole world and all of its inhabitants to be a citizen of his kingdom. You are blessed abundantly. He has taught you the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. If you read Matthew 13 last night in your preparatory reading for these assemblies, many prophets and righteous men have desired to see and to hear the things that you see and hear and have not done so. But blessed are your ears that because they hear and your eyes because they see. We are blessed abundantly. We have a great king. The Lord reigneth. Let the people tremble. The Lord Jesus Christ is our king. Now we're part of a spiritual kingdom of the churches of the Lord Jesus Christ. The churches of Jesus Christ, this being one of them, is the organizational visible aspect of the spiritual kingdom that John and Jesus introduced in Matthew chapters 3 and 4. Just as Daniel had told Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 2 that in the days of these kings, the God of heaven would set up a kingdom. When is this kingdom? Well, it isn't future. The premillennialists, meaning that Jesus comes before the millennium. Pre means before. Millennium means a thousand year reign. These premillennialist, futuristic, science fiction speculators try to propose that there is going to be an Israelite kingdom over at the sandy end of the Mediterranean Sea where Jesus is going to come back and rule that pitiful little nation for a thousand years. And the wicked are just going to be good boys and girls during that thousand year period. It's just ridiculous. It's not found anywhere in the Bible. Find it and show it to me. I'll convert before next Sunday. We're not post-millennialists. We're not like the Presbyterians and the homeschooling associations that get involved in earthly politics in order to bring in the kingdom. They're called post-millennialists. It's called theonomy. It's called Christian reconstructionism. It's called by other names. And that is that if we get involved in politics, we will slowly but surely take the world for God. And then Jesus can come after the millennium because we brought the millennium in for a thousand years. Now that sounds like Adolf Hitler who was going to have the Third Reich reign for a thousand years. The Bible doesn't describe this world getting better. The Bible describes this world getting worse and all you have to do is look around and see that. So when is it? Well, John, Jesus, and Paul repeatedly taught that the kingdom of God was a present reality. The kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ was a present reality. Jesus said, But if I with the finger of God cast out devils, no doubt. Well, should the premillennialists cause us to doubt? Should the postmillennialists cause us to doubt? No doubt. The kingdom of God is come upon you. Amen. That's just one of many. The law and the prophets were until John. Which John? John MacArthur? 
The law and the prophets were until John, that is John the Baptist. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached and every man presseth into it. Now how can you press into something that's 2,000 years away at least? The kingdom is here. You say, well, I don't see it. Jesus answered that one. Jesus said, you can't see it. You can't say it's there or it's here because the kingdom of God is within you. It's a spiritual kingdom among men. In the nation of Israel, the kingdom was very much present. But you couldn't say, over there is where the king has a crown on his head and is coming to deliver Israel from the hand of the Romans. It was a spiritual kingdom within the populace of Israel. We have duties right now in this kingdom. If you're a sincerely baptized believer of the Lord Jesus Christ, then you are a citizen of His kingdom because baptism is is how you gain entrance to His kingdom. His spiritual kingdom of those that follow Him and call Him their King and their Lord. Baptism is your oath of loyalty to the King and His kingdom. It's where you say... As my Lord and King was killed, buried, and rose again for my sins, I kill my old nature and am buried in water, and I rise again to walk in newness of life in obedience to my King. I will live a kingdom life from this day forward, is what you should have intended by your baptism. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. Your king gave his life to buy you out of this world. It should change your life. You should want to do everything in your life for him. He rescued you from the stronger man. So walk worthy of him. Look at Daniel chapter 11. Daniel chapter 11 is a description of the Persian and Greek kings leading up to the first Roman kings. The kings of the north and the kings of the south are the remnant kings of the Greek empire, the Seleucid dynasty and the Ptolemaic dynasty of two of Alexander the Great's generals. But here in the middle of this, as the Seleucids war against the Ptolemies, that is the Syrians against the Egyptians, guess what country was between Syria and Egypt? The Syrians were called the kings of the north, The Ptolemies of Egypt were called the kings of the south. They continually fought each other because each one of their kings wanted to be another Alexander the Great and have the whole world as part of their kingdom. Well, little Israel was between them. And little Israel kept getting beaten by these Greek kings fighting back and forth and abused by being in the middle of these two warring nations. I want to mention the Maccabees to you from Daniel chapter 11 and verse 32. Antiochus Epiphanes, the worst of the Seleucid kings from Syria, has been described in verses 30 and 31. And here come the Maccabees in verse 32. And such as do wickedly against the covenant shall he corrupt by flatteries. This is Antiochus Epiphanes, Antiochus IV of the Syrians, The Seleucid dynasty from Alexander the Great. This is a Greek kingdom of the north. But the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. The people that do know their God. Within the nation of Israel were some that did wickedly against the covenant that they had with God. And there were others that did know their God. And it was the family of a priest, the Maccabean family. And those sons made war against Antiochus Epiphanes defeated him, drove him off, and purified the temple. And it is observed to this day, it's called Hanukkah. As when this event took place in the 160s B.C. Verse 33, And they that understand among the people shall instruct many, yet they shall fall by the sword and by flame, by captivity and by spoil, many days. God did not give that nation full liberty For many days. But what I want from these verses is not prophecy this morning, but it's they that did know their God did exploits. 
In verse 32, the people that do know their God shall be strong. Do you know your God this morning? Do you know Psalm 99? Do you know Matthew 6, 33? And Daniel 4, 34 and 35? And Daniel chapter 2 and verse 44? And Daniel eleven thirty two. 32? Do you know these verses? Do you know that you have kingdom duties? Do you know your God? Are you strong? And are you willing to put up some exploits? You say, well, I don't know that God's called me to be a Maccabean hammer. Oh, no. All you got to do is go home and love your spouse. You say, well, that's... You think it's easy? Come and let me ask you ten questions before you go home today. I'll just ask you ten little questions about loving your spouse, and we'll just see if you can go home and do some exploits. You say, is it that simple? It's that simple. Except... I'll also give you ten other things to consider along with your marriage. I'm going to show you. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. What is His righteousness? What God says to be right in every part of your life. That's what it is. Let me show you some that that were strong and did exploits. Look at Acts 22. Here are some examples. Let these examples provoke you. To emulation. Emulation is the desire to equal or exceed another person. It is competitiveness. I want to provoke you to emulation by some examples, quick examples in the Bible. Acts chapter 22. When Saul of Tarsus met the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, the Lord told him to go into Damascus and look up a man named Ananias. And here's that man's reputation. How does your reputation compare? Acts 22.12, And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there. Though he was a Christian, he had good report of all the Jews. And though you are a Christian in a pagan world, do you have a good reputation of everyone that knows you? You're a citizen of the king. He's put you on an outpost, Shane. What are you doing to defend his kingdom? What am I doing? Let's be like Ananias. Let's be like the Maccabees. The people that do know their God were strong and did exploits. Look at Romans 16. I want to commend the young man that I just picked on because he happens to be sitting in a bad spot where my eyes land. He had... In his new position, he has lots of time to sit around waiting for something bad to happen. And so he's sitting around, he's getting more time in the Word of God and listening to sermons. And the Lord has not let him forget the 14 sermon series, He is Altogether Lovely. Amen. Is that commendable? Yes. That's a pretty nice job, too, to get paid to listening. To listen to, he is altogether lovely. Romans chapter 16. I mentioned this woman to you recently, but I want to mention her again. Look at verses 1 and 2. I commend. When the Apostle Paul commends someone, we should want to read it carefully. I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister. This is a woman, which is a servant of the church, which is at Sencria. That's a kingdom servant, because she's serving a church that ye receive her in the Lord. Notice she serves the king as becometh saints, and that ye assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you, for she hath been a succorer of many, and of myself also. She is a helper of many. She hasn't just helped one. She also helped the Apostle Paul. Now for you to be contributing something good enough to help Paul, that was an accomplishment. This was Phoebe. The kingdom of God was very important to her. She did business in any church where she could. And the Apostle Paul commended her, and she's been read about for 2,000 years. Are you one of those people that do know their God and are strong and do exploits? Look at chapter 16 and verse 23. Gaius, mine host. Paul was staying with a man named Gaius, and of the whole church saluteth you. Now that short little sentence is not a waste of space in the Bible. There was a man named Gaius who entertained and showed hospitality toward the Apostle Paul and of the whole church. He he knew his God and he was strong 
and he did exploits. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Let these names in the Bible excite you. Don't tell me that when I want to mention your name for something good that you have done, that you don't want your name mentioned. That is false humility. Or you can tell me and then send me a PS, just go ahead and do whatever you think should be done, because I'm going to do it anyway. Because the Bible names names, and it names names over and over. Of those who deserve to be praised. Look at this family. 1 Corinthians 16, 15. I beseech you, brethren, ye know the house of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. That is a great family. That is a great family. I'm thankful for the family I was born into because my parents were addicted to the ministry of the saints. They didn't really know there was anything else to life. Look at this. That's a, that's a household. The house of Stephanus. He was the first convert. He was of the first converts in Achaia. Achaia was a province of modern Greece. It was south of Macedonia where Philippi was located. This was where Corinth was located in the province of Achaia. But notice, the Apostle Paul tells the whole known world, and for 2,000 years we've read about the house of Stephanus. What good does it do us since you've never met Stephanus except to provoke you to emulation? They that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Addicted. They couldn't stop. They couldn't quit. They just had to do something else for the ministry of the saints, for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Oh, there's more. But there's too many more. Oh, what a kingdom we're part of today. Thank you, Lord, for making us part of this kingdom. This kingdom has come in strength and power in numerous ways. On the day of Pentecost... 50 days after the Passover at which our Lord was crucified, the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the early church. After that, power was poured out upon the apostles. They went out of Jerusalem into Judea. Then they went from Judea into Samaria. Then they went from Samaria to the uttermost parts of the world. And they turned the world upside down. The enemies of the Lord Jesus Christ would say across the Mediterranean Sea, these that have turned the world upside down have come thither. You say, but they were apostles. They were fishermen who had been with Jesus, and it did make a difference. I was in the Spirit in the Lord's day, and that's what you should want to be this morning. Oh, Lord, help us to this end. You're part of a kingdom, and this church has power given to it, authority given to it by the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, do you know that the Bible says you will judge angels? Do you know that the Bible says that because you'll judge angels, you should be able to judge any matter that comes up between brethren? We don't need small claims court. We don't need attorneys. All we need is a church of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 16, I'm not turning there. I'm turning turning you to Matthew 18. But in Matthew 16, verse 19, Jesus told Peter, I give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound, and whatsoever thou shalt loose shall be loosed. How did Peter do that? Was he the first pope? No. He was simply one of the apostles that taught the rules for how we're to conduct ourselves in the New Testament. And that's how he bound and loosed, by having apostolic authority that gave us apostolic tradition of how we keep a church. In Matthew 18, it tells us how to do what Jesus gave him. Matthew 18, 18, Verily I say unto you, Whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And you know this passage starts out with something as small as the torn power cord on a jigsaw. But that's where it ends up. Oh, yes. Christ's kingdom. Look at Matthew chapter 19, since you're close by. Matthew 19, and I mentioned this to you last Lord's Day. Verse 12, For there are some eunuchs which were so born from their mother's womb. Naturally, some men 
are not equipped for marriage. And there are some eunuchs. That means they do not have a functioning reproductive vessel or tool. That's a Bible word. Which were made eunuchs of men. And there be eunuchs which have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He that is able to receive it, let him receive it. Not very many are able to receive these words because most people need to be married because marriage is the cure for the desire to fornicate. Because that is where God gave you your sexual outlet is in proper scriptural godly marriage. There's three kinds of eunuchs here. Some are born this way, so it's an act of God. Some are made eunuchs like Daniel was by the king of Nebuchadnezzar because a eunuch is less of a threat. Because his manhood is reduced. It's why good farmers understand that a steer is more easily managed than a bull. It's why a gelding is more easily managed than a stallion. And that's what's happened. They've been made eunuchs. But some men make themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. That means they gave up any sexual outlet in life and they didn't even marry. And I want to emphasize that to you again today to show you how serious the kingdom is. Now in 1 Corinthians 7.32, and please turn to it with me, it says, I would have you to be without carefulness. And this sentence, I would have you to be without carefulness, in the middle of 1 Corinthians 7, is about marriage. And it goes from verse 32 to verse 35, and says that a person that is unmarried can care better for the things of the Lord, because a person that is married has to spend much of their time caring for the things of their spouse. If you can receive it, receive it. If you can't receive it, don't receive it. I couldn't receive it, I didn't receive it, and I don't receive it. However, I have some words for you and for me, and they come before verse 32. Verse 32 is that wonderful sentence, I would have you without carefulness. Carefulness is a life so busy that you are anxious, worried, and stressed, and fearful about getting everything done. And God does not want you living that way. You should simplify your life to be a better kingdom servant. I would have you without carefulness. And so he goes forward and explains to be like me without a spouse is better if you can handle it. But now now look at when he goes backward. I want to go backward and start at verse 29 where it's talking about those who are already married. Verse 29, this I say, brethren, the time is short. It remaineth that both they that have wives. Oh, so we're talking about married people. See, it's too late to be a eunuch for the kingdom of heaven's sake. They that have wives be as though they had none. There is a way in which you should live that the Lord is first in your life so that your spouse is not entirely crowding out your relationship with the king of our kingdom. And they that weep, should be as though they wept not. I'm adding words from verse 29 so that you can understand this section. And they that rejoice should be as though they rejoice not. Everything should be done in moderation and discipline and temperance so that you can be strong and do exploits for your king. And they that buy should be as though they possess not. And they that use this world should be as not abusing it, for the fashion of this world passeth away. All this stuff is going away. So if you're a trader, if you're a businessman, if you have multiple businesses, whatever you're doing, you should be as though you didn't. You shouldn't let this world abuse you. You shouldn't abuse this world. Keep it in its proper place so that you can be strong and do exploits for your God. We will give an account soon. Not of how much you got done naturally, but of how much you got done spiritually. Oh, Lord, help us. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 22, do I need to turn you there, where it said they made light of it? They made light of what? The kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ and an invitation to a marriage of the king's son. They made light of it. And one went his way to his farm and another went to his merchandise. And what did the Lord do? He burned up that city. That was the Jews. They made light of 
of the kingdom that was brought to them by the son of David. Where? Where should we do? Wherever the kingdom is found. The most important geographical decision or factor ever in your life is where is there a church of Jesus Christ? Who cares about jobs, economics, family, or schools, or any such carnal thing? The most important thing is where is there an outpost of the kingdom of heaven? I want to be there. The Lord will take care of everything else. Listen, if my family, if I lose my whole family, who cares? Because my king said, no man hath forsaken father, mother, brother, sister, blah, 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 a whole long list of houses and lands, but I'll, re- I'll give them a hundredfold more now in this life and in the world to come, I'll give them eternal life. So where? Wherever there's an outpost of the kingdom of heaven. How? By serving this church and by serving churches elsewhere that are true churches of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a great privilege, brethren, and it was taken away from the Jews. If you'll turn back with me to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew 8. We had read to us last Lord's Day from Matthew 21, where that vineyard was taken away from the Jews and given to a nation that would bring forth the fruit thereof. That was the kingdom of Jesus Christ being taken from Israel, from the Jews, and given to the Gentiles. We have it now. They lost it. Matthew 21 is frightening. It's because it's a privilege to have the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Matthew 22, when the Jews wouldn't respond to the invitations to the marriage of the king's son, then the king said, listen, I've got the ox and the fatlings prepared Go out into the highways and just invite anyone to come. And you you know who you are, just anyone. You know who I am, just anyone. And compel them to come in and furnish this wedding with guests. And so there we are. But the point I'm making right now is it's a privilege to have this kingdom. And if you don't take advantage of it, God will leave you in the congregation of the dead and you won't know it. It's horrible. He'll take away a candlestick and you'll still be meeting with your organization, but it will no longer be an organism because the Holy Spirit will be gone. Matthew chapter 8, very quickly, let me read this. Here's the centurion. His servant's lying at home, grievously sick. Jesus said in verse 7, I'll come and heal him. I'm sorry, I have to chase this little rabbit. I will come and heal him. Now here's a centurion. He has a hundred soldiers reporting to him. The centurion answered and said in verse 8, Lord, I'm not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I'm a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, Go, and he goeth. And to another, Come, and he cometh. And to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. Here's a centurion telling Jesus, You don't need to come to my house. I'm not worthy to have you visit me. Just say the word. Because I understand authority. And you've got more than I do. But I've got some from the Roman government. I can say to one, go. And he has to go. And I say, come. And he has to come. Now would you just say, be healed. And my servant will be taken care of. Verse 10, when Jesus heard it, he marveled. And said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west, and we're from the west, and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The kingdom was taken from the Jews and given to Gentiles like this centurion. What in the world is a Roman centurion having this kind of faith when the Jews that should have known all about their Messiah from their scriptures did not believe on him. Look what happens. They lose it, and they're cast into outer darkness. Who wants to sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven? I'm on my way. Are you on your way with me? Yes, we're going to meet Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We're fellow citizens with the saints now. But we're going to see them. Soon, O oh Lord, remind us of the importance of this. 
Do you appreciate the fact that you understand the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven? You probably thought that Matthew 13 was too simple for you to read last night. But do you know that in Matthew 13, the the audience that Jesus was preaching to did not understand what he was talking about? The disciples came to correct his methods, but he wouldn't. He just pulled them aside and explained the ones that they were having trouble with. And when he got to the end, he said, Do you understand everything I've told you? Yea, Lord. But you understand it all. It's all simple to you. Because blessed are your ears and your eyes. He's given you His kingdom and the mysteries of it. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. There's work to do. And we want to do the work well. We had 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 read to us, which described the character of this church. And recently you read 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, which also described their character, which was known throughout the world. But I want 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 to begin with. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 10. Ye are witnesses. Paul is writing a church and saying, You watched me as an apostle with my fellow ministers. You are witnesses. Ye are witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. As ye know, how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children, that ye would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. You Thessalonians have been called by God, chosen and ordained to be citizens of his kingdom here on earth and in glory. We exhorted you and charged you how you ought to live to be worthy of that calling. You're witnesses as to how we conducted ourselves among you and brought that message to you. That ye would walk worthy. Okay, now come over to chapter 4. That ye would walk worthy of God. This is how we can be like the Maccabeans and know our God and walk worthy of Him and be strong and do exploits. Let me give you a few. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 1. Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. This is how you live in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Whatever Paul and the other apostles told us that pleases God is what you want to be doing. Because chapter 2, verses 10 through 12 said that. I mean, I'm going to go back there to 1 Thessalonians 2, 12, that ye would walk worthy of, walk, worthy of God. Walk is your lifestyle, your actions. Worthy, meaning that you are approved by God and you please Him because it's God that we're dealing with. He's the King of our kingdom who hath called you unto His kingdom and glory. Then, in this fourth chapter, verse 1, Here goes the apostle again. Exhorting them, beseeching them, that as ye have received of us, how ye ought to walk and to please God, that you would just do it more and more. That is what we're here for today. That is what we're here for today. Whatever you have invented in your life that's different than God's, get rid of it. Verses 1 through 8 in this chapter. Sex. You want to know how to please God and be worthy in His kingdom? Sex. Where are you sinning in your sex life? Are you sinning in your thoughts? Are you sinning in your words? Are you sinning in your deeds? What are you playing with? What are you inventing that's outside of God's Word? Are you defrauding your spouse? Are you fantasizing about someone else? Are you using romance novels or pornography? To not be satisfied with your spouse. Sex are the first eight verses. 
of how to be good in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ lived 33 and a half years and had women following him his entire ministry and never sinned in sexual thought, word, or deed. Verse 2, For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. Well, I'd like to know what those commandments are. Okay, just keep reading with me. Verse 3, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. Just stop right there. Don't read. I'll get to the, I'll get to the, the big word. Sanctification. What does that mean? That means to be holy. What did Psalm 99 tell us about God in verse 3, verse 5, and verse 9? He is holy. Sanctification is how we are holy. Your sanctification is you being more and more holy. Well, what kind of a, what kind of sanctification is being described here? That ye should abstain from fornication. God hates fornication. God hates casual sex. God hates partying. God hates having affairs. God hates adultery. God hates the gay lifestyle. This is the will of God. Do you want to know the will of your king? He wants you to be holy, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. That's taking care of your body and your male member. And you men have had me preach this to you a little plainer when we've been together for men's meetings. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Do you think it's talking about your flashlight or your car when it's talking about fornication? That Not in the lust of concupiscence. That's sexual desire. Even as the Gentiles, which know not God, because it was rampant in their day. Corinth was a, was a, a cesspool of sex. And we live in one today. And so we're, we have an outpost. You know, some of you may wonder why David read about David in 2 Samuel 8. Have you made the connection yet? Let me help you. David expanded the kingdom of God. And how did he expand the kingdom of God in 2 Samuel 8? He established garrisons far removed from Jerusalem. And we are removed from Jerusalem in a respect while we're here on earth among the Edomites and among the Moabites. And here we are. This church is a garrison of the citizens and the soldiers of the high king of heaven living in a cesspool of sex-crazed Americans. It's everywhere. We are old-fashioned, but that isn't good enough. That, That terminology is not appropriate. We want to be holy. We want to be sanctified. We want to keep our our vessels possessed and under our control in sanctification and honor. It's honorable when a man does not stoop to pornography, when he does not stoop to adultery. It is honorable when a young man can rule his vessel and not stoop to fornication in thought, in word, or in deed. That is honorable. That is a strong man who does know his God and is doing some exploits. And there is a Savior at the right hand of God who was tempted in all points like every one of us men, yet without sin. And he knows. And he knows the world we live in. And he knows that he made men to be visually stimulated. And he knows that women don't wear clothes in this country. But that doesn't excuse any of us. We're charged right here. We're charged right here to walk worthy of God in the kingdom to which he's called us. And so the first eight verses are all about sexual purity. Verse 7, God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. Verse 6, no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, touching a daughter or a wife, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such as we also have forewarned you and testified. See, Paul is saying, this is the stuff I taught you before. I'm teaching you again. What have you invented? Now, the world's invented lots of things to help you invent against God, haven't they? 
Where are the real knights in shining armor for the Lord Jesus Christ? They're described right there in the first eight verses. What's the next thing to do? Well, it's verses 9 and 10. Do you love everyone else in this assembly? But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed, ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. That's the province above Achaia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. I want you to grow in your affection for brothers one at a time. That is being mighty in the kingdom of heaven. How about the next one? Verses 11 and 12, that you get a transferable skill so that you can work honestly toward them that are without. That you study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. There were slothful church members among the Thessalonians because 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 is the place where it says, they that will not work should not eat. There's about 10 verses there about the problem in the Thessalonians. Verse 12 of 1 Thessalonians 4, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without. We want all these Edomites and Moabites around us to see honest, hardworking Christians with a great work ethic. And that ye may have lack of nothing, so that you're never coming up short financially. You have learned and studied to be quiet and to have your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. This was an apostolic commandment. Sex, love, hard work, in verses 13 through 18, that you remember that Jesus Christ the King is coming back and comfort one another with these words. Don't comfort one another with a promotion. Don't comfort one another with a bigger house. Don't comfort one another with all that junk or any of that junk. Comfort one another with the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) I like this kingdom gospel. This is how we walk worthy of God. You know, we can't, we can't go join a group of gorillas called the Maccabean Hammer and wage war against Antiochus IV of Syria. You say, that sounds exciting. Well, if you read verse 33 with me, a lot of them died. Okay? It's not all that exciting. I'm giving you an exciting battle. Can you be a knight in shining armor for your king? Then don't invent anything sexually against his precious word. Don't invent anything to excuse yourself from loving every one of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't invent anything to be lazy or slothful in your training and preparation to work hard and to provide for yourself and to adorn the gospel by your work ethic. And don't invent anything that's important to you, more important to you than the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in verses 13 through 18. More after our break. We have a great king. He deserves great lives from us. Let's serve him with all our might. May Jesus Christ be praised.